0: everyone this morning's reading comes from mark 9 verses 1 to 13 and he said to them truly i tell you some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of heaven of god has come with power after six days jesus took peter james and john with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone there he was transfigured before them And a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, Why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him.
1: well thank you stephanie and isn't it wonderful you've had your sermon already really uh red shared the death of jesus we remembered in the communion uh then michael came and talked about the rising from the dead and then we had the application go out and tell the world my job here is pretty much done uh but because I can't help myself, I am going to talk to this passage uh, because it's in my roster and it's very important for us to keep moving in Mark. Uh, so let's preach, uh, let's pray actually, and, uh, and let's have a look uh, at this passage. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you after a number of weeks we can come back to Mark. And Father, as we enter into this passage and we see the transfiguration of Jesus, Lord I pray you will open our eyes now pray particularly after a very torrid week to be honest uh, that you give my eyes uh, clear eyes to see Uh, father i pray for faithfulness to this passage i pray your holy spirit will take over now and i pray we will all go away having seen the glory and the majesty of the lord jesus christ and i pray this in his name amen Well. Um, if we could get that first slide up you can't get the first slide up not a problem Uh, seven years ago in Spain this fella he looked a bit overweight it wasn't me Uh, and uh, he turned up into like a piazza or or just a common area and he had a soccer ball he had hair all over his face looked a bit ragged started juggling I'm not going to do it for you I'm I haven't had much sleep, so you could get anything today. I'm going to start juggling. So he was juggling the ball and doing all these tricks and trying to engage the crowd in all these tricks with his soccer ball. And he he was really clever. He had all these wonderful, uh, wonderful tricks up his sleeve. And, you know, you watch him and you can see it on YouTube and it, it looks quite remarkable. But, you know, he's trying to engage people and no one, everyone's like what are you kicking a soccer ball at me for, I don't want to know anything about it and, uh, and anyway after a while this young kid comes along and uh, he starts engaging this young kid and the kid's kicking it back and trying to dribble and, and this kind of thing. Now no one really paid any attention, no one really cared about uh, who he was or what he was doing, he was just some uh, odd fella with a soccer ball, yeah he had some skill but no one really cared Then he picked up the ball and after about, he's probably 10 minutes with this kid, 15 minutes with this kid, he picked up the ball and started signing it, which was a bit odd. Why would this kid want to sign the ball from this guy? Anyway, before he gives it to the child, he starts taking off all his hair, takes off his wig, takes off his outer um, costume. And it's Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo, the greatest soccer player at the world at the time. Maybe not right now, but at the time. And all of a sudden, flocking to him is everyone. All the phones come out, everyone suddenly wanted a piece of this guy because even though he looked like nothing and you could, he just looked like everyone else, all of a sudden he was recognisable and everyone wanted a piece of him. And it was quite, it's quite remarkable. You should go on YouTube and see it. Uh, But it's just a great illustration of how we are so enamoured with celebrity in some respect. But once those layers start coming off, and once you start seeing the true identity of someone, when you recognise that person for who they are, if they are someone of renown, you will flock to them. See, this morning we're continuing our series in Mark and we've seen over the course of this gospel in some ways the layers of Jesus coming off somewhat. He creates miracles, he does certain things... Uh, he, he, he does miracles, he, he's teaching wonderful things, he's able to control the, the, the wind and the waves, he's able to do all sorts of things and in some respects, these should be enlightening people to who he is and that's how Mark has been progressing his gospel so far. And then right before the passage this morning, uh, in chapter 8, you'll remember he asks his disciples, the twelve. He says, um, maybe we can just blank that out. Um, Steph, I've just got people looking up uh, here. Thanks, Melody. <laughs> Eyes on me. <laughs> um, and, um, and, uh, and, 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 and what he does is he asks them, who do the people say I am? And you remember they say, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. Some say one of the prophets. And then he says, who do you think I am? And he says... And Peter says, you are the Messiah. But he's happy to call him the Messiah. And then Jesus goes on and starts talking about what that means. But it's not what Peter wants. He starts talking about the fact that that means suffering, rejection. And so the Messiah is suddenly no longer what he is meant to be because the human side of Peter, Peter could not accept it and the disciples couldn't accept it. And then Jesus goes on and says what this means for those who follow him. Well, it means exactly the same type of life, suffering, rejection. You must, he says, lay down your life and follow me. And you'll notice then I started here in verse 1 of chapter 9, even though the break, that's part of the previous passage, which it is. And you'll see it says there in verse 1, And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death, before they see that the kingdom of god has come with power it's a curious statement when you think of it what does he mean by that well some say that uh some say that it happens at pentecost when the holy spirit some some say it's in his resurrection some say that it's the death when how he dies Some say that just after Pentecost, the preaching to the thousands, the kingdom of God has come with power. Some say, well, we've already seen that in the miracles and his teaching. And in so many ways, we have seen and will see that the kingdom of God has come with power. But I actually think Mark is pointing to this very next passage which we are talking about today. Now, I can't prove that. It doesn't say that explicitly in the text. But for the first time, if you have a look in verse 2, Things aren't just suddenly happening and immediately or suddenly Mark just loves that immediately or then they and and it just keeps going. He says for the only time in his whole gospel, after six days, there's a six day period here that suddenly... And then we have this remarkable, remarkable situation which is exclusively been reserved for a few of the disciples see he's just say some will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of god has come with power and then verse 2 if you have your bibles there says after six days jesus took peter james and john with him led them up to a high mountain where they were all alone there he was transfigured before them His clothes became became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Now I tell you, if you were trying to make up a story, you probably wouldn't include this passage in it. What a remarkable thing to claim for a few people to have observed And to have seen. Now, transfigured literally means his figure, his presence was transformed, it was changed before them. And if you have a look there, we're told that his garments were whiter than anyone could bleach any garment. Now, I I think Mark or whoever has kind of recounted this is trying to figure out. A way to describe just how white and glorious this transfiguration was in the tra- in the in the change in Jesus. Now I've played cricket most of my life, well, not recently, but um, and I tell you, um, we all knew those who had parents or were able to do it themselves who bleached their whites, and we all know the ones who didn't have people who bleached their whites. It certainly made a difference on the field. If you stood back and you looked at the other team as they're fielding, say you were the batting team, you would see a tinge of pink uh, from the bowler because he's been shining the ball. You'd see, But then you'd see a few people who just had obviously had their whites bleached and they were smick beautiful. And that's all, that's all he's got. He's going, it's like that, but it's more than that. So if Jesus stood on that cricket pitch with those people with the bleached whites, he would stand out far greater than those. You would know who he was because he would be just shining bright with whiteness. There are no words to describe what was happening here. You see, it's got reflections of the Old Testament. Maybe in Daniel or maybe in one of the prophets or maybe in the Psalms where we're... We, we, where we, where we're encountering the glory of the Lord. When God appears to Moses on the mountain, don't overlook the significance of him, him taking his disciples up a mountain. And God's face shines brightly and Moses can't even look at it. You see, there's reflections here of God's glory. And that's exactly what we're meant to come to a conclusion about. He is the Messiah. He is the promised one. See, so far he's had the costume on, and what's happening is he's having his humanity unveil, being unveiled to reveal his true identity. This is a glimpse that's been given. This has been leading up to this moment so far. Well, then we have this response. As soon as all... uh, Sorry, I'm looking at the wrong passage. Then we have Peter. He says, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Now, (laughs) think about that. Like, here's Jesus dazzling white. You've got Moses who's appeared. You've got Elijah who's appeared. The disciples have recognized that it's Moses and Elijah. And he goes, it's good for us to be here. (laughs) Jesus has brought him up. Now, this is classic Peter. This is classic Peter. It's good for us. Let us put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then Mark helpfully says... He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Don't underestimate that idea of being frightened. You think about this. Whenever someone encounters God, the glory of God in the Old Testament, it instills great fear. Isaiah was called in Isaiah 6. And what does he do? He, He prostrates himself. It is fear. Why? Because when you are in the presence of the great glory, holiness, the great holiness of God, you recognize just who you were encountering. And Peter is just overwhelmed with fear. And so he's trying to respond. The others are standing there, but he's the one who, who, who just responds. Let us put up a shelter. It's good for us to be here. What do I do? What do I say? I don't know if you've been in those situations before. Usually it's a first date. <coughs> Always was for me. What do I do? What do I say? I'm overwhelmed with fear. But you, you're just tongue-tied. And so you say something stupid. Well, I'm not saying this is Peter's stupid, but it's kind of it's a bit strange. And then we're told, a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. Now, in, I think it's Matthew's or Luke's version, it says, as Peter was speaking, and I like this, the idea of, as Peter is mumbling all these words, suddenly this cloud appears and a voice from the cloud, this is my son whom I love, Listen to him. Stop talking. Listen to him. Now this should remind you of Jesus' baptism. Where God, the voice from heaven, appears. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. You see, and now we have another instance of God affirming that this isn't some sort of strange, mystical experience no god the father is saying this is my son this is god the son this is the glory he had before he entered into humanity you are seeing a glimpse of his true identity you have nothing to say you should be silenced in his presence you should be full of fear in his presence, because you've got nothing to contribute here. Listen to him. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus has declared. Listen to him. Sometimes I listen to people preach or listen to people try to teach, and I wonder whether they've actually listened to the Word of God. Whether they've asked the question, what is God saying to me? Do you listen to God? Do you listen when you read the Bible? Do you allow God to speak to you through it? Or are you too busy imposing on Him who you want Him to be? And I think that's what's happening here. Peter, be quiet for a moment. You've already declared he's the Messiah. Look at the glory and listen to him. Stop telling him what he should and shouldn't be as the Son of God. He's saying he will suffer in the previous passage, he's saying he will go to the cross. He is saying that the life of those who follow him will be one that is a sacrifice. Listen to him. Suddenly, we're told, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. I don't know if you've been in a maze um you know you see them in uh, tv shows big hedges and you're trying to work your way out i think we have to give a little bit of uh grace here imagine being in the middle of all this and jesus is revealing himself suddenly you're seeing him transfigured and then he mentions this thing about rising from the dead what does that mean? They're still thinking that this is his earthly life. He's going to come and he's going to uh, restore the kingdom of God on the earth today. He's going to overcome the Romans. He's going to overcome those who are oppressing God's people. And it's still going. And they're going, well, what does rising from the dead mean? But all they know is they're not to talk about this until that's happened. Well, I think they wouldn't know what to say. And I think if they, uh, if they said it, when they went down the mountain and started talking about this, one of two things would happen. They'd be stoned to death, or people would just, by force, which has happened in other passages, try to make Jesus, who he didn't come to be in this moment. And then we see when Jesus has risen from the dead, the very Peter that is uh, the central response here, well, we do see the kingdom of God come with power through His ministry. Now, I think it was interesting that Michael did talk about. Well, Michael talked about the the the, the denial. Who who talked about the denial? Denying Christ three times. Peter's denial. Reg, it was Reg. Sorry, Reg. All glory to you. Uh, so. <laughs> But I think it was, you know, this is, this is the Peter that still is denying because he doesn't know what rising from the dead means. He goes back to his fishing when, Pe- when Jesus... But then the rising from the dead, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus, uh, and Peter preaches that first sermon with great conviction and great power, and his ministry from that point on is full of power. Through him, the kingdom of God comes with power. In Acts 2, we see the preaching of 5,000 and 3,000 and people coming to Christ left, right and center. People overwhelming in their response to this message. And I think it's Acts 2.38 that Peter says, This Jesus that you crucified so boldly Well, I declare... To be the Messiah. See, rising from the dead, if you can grasp Jesus rising from the dead, it changes everything. And it gives some perspective of what this transfiguration means. It means that Jesus is who he has been declared and revealed to be. He is not defined by that humanity that he is clothed in, he is being unveiled here. It is a glimpse of his true identity. I think what happens so often, and as the world encounters uh, these stories, they actually think the glory of Jesus and his divinity is being clothed over his humanity by the church. Can you see how that happens? The world thinks, oh yeah, you're just imposing onto him and clothing him with something he's not. Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and I can say Mormons because I was in the Mormon church, Jehovah's Witnesses, Christadelphians if you've ever heard of them, they deny the divinity of Jesus, they say, oh no, you Christians are just clothing this human Jesus with this divinity in a way which the Bible never says. But here we see that the, the humanity is the thing that was clothed over his divinity and now it's being unveiled of his true identity. He existed before time began, God the Son, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And rising from the dead affirms all of this. And so that's why they've been told to keep the matter to themselves. But there's something more than that going on here. I think there's significance that Elijah Elijah and Moses appear. Elijah was considered the great prophet. Remember, he, he, he was taken up to heaven. I'm not going to use the word raptured, but that's effectively what was going on. I did use it. (laughs) Sleepless nights. So he was taken up to heaven. He was considered the great prophet. And here he appears. Moses was the one given the law and the covenantal, the old covenant. He was the one given the sacrificial system and all in the way that uh, Israel needed to be holy, to come into relationship with. With their God. And they disappear. And who's remaining here? Jesus. Why? Because his great sacrifice is the once for all sacrifice for sin in order to conquer sin and death. Why? Because he is the great high priest. The one who ministers the sacrificial system. Who is the one mediator between humanity and God is Jesus Christ. He is the one who mediates, who paves the way. And the old covenant and the sacrificial system has now been fulfilled by him. And so we come in faith to him. He is the great prophet. He is the one that all look towards the coming of this great prophet. The one with the true words. The one with the truth. Truly, truly, verily, verily, I say unto you, this is my son, listen to him. He is the one with words of life. He is the true great prophet. And leading all up to this is this great title called Messiah, the king, the true king, the anointed one to lead God's people, prophet, priest, king, all tying together here in the transfiguration with God declaring that this is the one. There is no other way in which you can be saved. There is no other means by which I am ministering my grace and my mercy to the world. There is one 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 who is the king, there is one who is the Lord and his name is Jesus and here he is. Let me unveil him. Take a glimpse. Now listen to him. Put your trust in him. Follow him. But listen to him. And it's the resurrection which we see in Peter's life that enables him to do that and finally have the Veil lifted from his own eyes. Now we are in a blessed time. We are on the other side of this. God unveils our eyes. He circumcises our hearts. And we receive the Holy Spirit. And through Jesus we are grafted into the priesthood. We are grafted into prophecy. And we are grafted into his kingdom as our king. And in Peter's great sermon in Acts 2, he says, they will prophesy, sons and daughters, quoting Joel. Peter tells us we are the holy priesthood, the holy nation. You see, everything that we see being unveiled about Jesus here is actually unveiling who we are in our identity in him. If we grasp his identity, we grasp our identity and that is where the power of God will display itself so abundantly when we surrender all of our life over to that identity, being in Him, to worship Him, to follow Him, to proclaim Him, to love Him, to rest in Him, to suffer in Him, to allow Him to provide, to allow him to cleanse, to allow him to show us what it is that his will is as a church and as individuals. See, maybe this is a message which I've been hounding over and over and over again since we, we, we since we got into Mark. But I think Mark has been pushing over and over and over and over again. Because if we do not grasp this, we will never live the fullness of life that we were called into. We will never see the abundant blessing of God as he builds his kingdom through us. We will never see faith which rests in him, but also trusts that the path he has us on, he will fulfill. It's a great place to be. We should all be challenged by that. And I encourage you, I encourage you to grasp the fullness of Jesus' divinity, his glory. I just want to leave you with Trying to grasp it Two peter chapter one see peter refers to this transfiguration um, let me read it to you from verse 16 this is the peter that is got no idea what's going on he says for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our lord jesus christ in power but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased, his baptism. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Makes all the difference. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. Father God, thank You for giving us the privilege of seeing this glimpse into Jesus' true identity. Father God, as humans, we think somehow that with the Red Cross we declare the power of humanity. But, Father, we know that we are fallen. We know we are broken. We know we are less than powerful. And, Father God, as we consider our identity into the Lord Jesus Christ, we recognise, Lord, that with that identity comes true glory, true power, true majesty. Not anything of ourselves, Lord, but all this, because you have abundantly poured out your blessing and grace and mercy upon our lives so father god i pray that we will be more willing to listen to our lord jesus than to speak that we will be willing to go forward in the abundance of power that you provide through your holy spirit and father we trust in you and we pray that you guide us into all truth We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.